This is the Behind the Line podcast coming to you from the crazy, chaotic lines of the Pacific Northwest. And this is Pacific Northwest Headline News. Well, here's a not-so-surprising story from Seattle that you won't hear Seattle media talking about. Seattle firefighters are demanding action over assault surge in homeless camps. There is no consequence. Something I've been talking about for months. Seattle firefighters are demanding action after first responders faced 40 assaults in four months in homeless encampments as crime continues to surge. These guys are responding to calls for assistance and being assaulted when they arrive. Former Seattle firefighter Andy Pittman joined Fox and Friends first to discuss why the trend is worsened and how the assaults have impacted the force's morale. It's largely because there is no consequence for anything of this nature in Seattle, Pittman told co-hosts of the Fox and Friends show Todd Pirro. They know that the with the reduced number of police in the city after last year's vaccine mandate and the continued decline in morale, that they get to write their own playbook and do as they wish. According to the Seattle Fire Department, there have been 855 fires in homeless encampments so far this year. City's Mayor Bruce Harrell announced a $150 million spending plan in recent weeks to house the estimated 13,000 individuals that make up the encampments, but Pittman is convinced the issue won't be solved until it affects elites at their front door. I think there's way too many people profiting off the homeless to do anything about it, and it hasn't reached their front door yet, Pittman said, so it's just going to continue to be the same problem over and over. The homeless crisis has plagued Seattle for some time, but has worsened significantly since the COVID-19 pandemic began. The last few years, they've increased spending every year to try to combat the problem, Pittman said, and there seems to be more organizations there to swallow up that money, but never any headway again in the homeless problem. Pittman lost his job over the vaccine mandate, which has left the city battling a police officer shortage as crime continues to derail city streets. Most of these firefighters are always willing to do their job, Pittman said. I think more they're afraid that the city's going to treat them the same way that I was treated and a lot of their brothers and sisters were treated on the way out. Why are we standing for this crap? There's over 40,000 homeless people in the city of Seattle now. If you go to the city's homeless tracking app and look at the data right there, over 40,000. How is that compassionate? Why is this acceptable? Where is all that money going? Because it's not doing a damn thing to fix the problem. Here's another shocking story out of Seattle. King County Prosecutor Dan Satterberg has asked... Sheriff Patty Cole Tyndall to investigate the deletion of text messages in 2020 from the phones of then-Seattle Mayor Jenny Durkin and other city leaders. Wow. Satterberg said Thursday in an emailed statement that it wasn't clear to him that anyone was going to start this investigation without prompting, the Seattle Times reported. Just like the public's right to an open courtroom, people have the right to know what is in public documents, including text messages, he wrote. Satterberg's office requested the investigation July 28th, Spokesperson Casey McNerthy said. Cole Tyndall's spokesperson Cynthia Sampson said the agency is in the early stages of reviewing the matter. Last year, a whistleblower in Durkin's office revealed the mayor's text from a 10-month period, including the summer of 2020 when police deployed tear gas against Black Lives Matter demonstration crowds and vacated the East Precinct were missing. 
Seattle Times discovered that other leaders, including Fire Chief Harold Scoggins and then Police Chief Carmen Best, had failed to retain their texts from about the same period. In February, a forensic analysis commissioned in response to lawsuits over the city's handling of the 2020 protests indicated that Durkin's phone was manually set in July 2020 to automatically delete texts after 30 days. The analysis didn't determine who changed the text retention setting on Durkin's phone. Durkin has said she did not delete the text. She has said that the city's information technology department worked on her phones in July 2020 to fix problems. The information technology department has said it's not the department's practice to change retention settings to delete messages. Ah, nobody did it. It's just magic. The forensic analysis didn't review why at least seven other officials, including Scoggins, Best, and police commanders under Best, failed to retain their texts. The analysis did find data consistent with testimony Best gave in a deposition that she had periodically deleted her texts. The analysis couldn't find backups of Durkin's and Best texts from May 2020 and June 2020. Several state rules and laws govern the retention of public records, including texts. Guidelines for preserving public records require that texts and other communication by local elected officials about public business be kept for at least two years before being transferred to the state's archives for appraisal and selective retention. Anyone who willfully destroys a public record that's supposed to be kept is guilty of a felony under state law. Most elected and public officials in Washington, including mayors, are required to take training that includes information about retaining records. Durkin and Best didn't respond Thursday to requests for comment. Following the release of the forensic analysis, the president of the Washington Coalition for Open Government and Seattle City Council member Andrew Lewis called for an outside investigation into the matter. Mayor Bruce Harrell, who succeeded Durkin in January, said in February he would consult with City Attorney Ann Davison's office to determine an appropriate course of action. He hasn't shared any next steps. During last year's election, Seattle mayoral candidate Colleen Echohawk asked State Attorney General Bob Ferguson to investigate, and his office said only local law enforcement could investigate. Typically, we don't ask for an investigation to be conducted, Satterberg said Thursday in his statement, but in recent weeks and months, I heard from people in the community that this matter was important to them, and I considered it myself, my responsibility to make this request to the sheriff before the end of my term. Wow. Well... At least he tried to do one good thing while he was there, eh? Of course, it's probably personal because he didn't get along with Durkin very much. And here's a story that you're more likely to hear from the state of Washington. Washington State is going to follow California and ban the sale of new gasoline cars. The transition from gas to electric is picking up speed. California announced Wednesday a plan to ban the sale of new gasoline-powered cars starting in 2035. And Washington State said it will also adopt the same rules. Governor Jay Inslee tweeted Wednesday, we're ready to adopt California's regs by end of this year. This is a critical milestone in our climate fight. Washington set in law a goal for all new car sales to be zero emissions by 2030, and we're ready, said Inslee. Whenever they put out a new rule, we have a direction to follow that, said Washington State Department of Ecology Climate Policy Section Manager Joel Cresswell. States can either set their own limits that match the federal rules or they can match California's rules. Washington State said in 2019 the state would adopt a California zero emission vehicle rules in accordance with the Federal Clean Air Act. Cresswell works to craft those rules and make sure Washington State's on track to hit them. The state recently hit a milestone with 100,000 electric vehicles on the road. 
a big part of the reason why those are here is because California was a leader and said, okay, automakers, it's time to sell more and more electric cars in California, and nobody wants to miss out on a California market. Transportation makes up nearly half of Washington's greenhouse gas emissions, which is less than 0.01%, just so you know. What's to come is an engineering challenge, building out charging stations and infrastructure, Cresswell said. Money from the Federal Infrastructure Bill and the Inflation Reduction Act will help. Ah, but that means more taxes in Washington because the infrastructure is not here and the electric grid can't handle that many cars. And we don't have the charging stations for them either. And who can afford to go out and buy an electric car? Your uh, Democrats who care so much about black and brown people, are they going to be buying them at fifty dollars to $70,000 a whack? I don't think so. The state will be taking public comment on the new rule, which will open on September 7th, and I suggest you make your opinion to the state known about that. Klamath Falls, Oregon, the Klamath Irrigation District in southern Oregon, has reversed course and now says it has complied with a U.S. government order to stop delivering water to farmers in the drought-stricken area. District's directors initially defied the federal government's order to shut off water to the Klamath Project, but the Klamath Irrigation District has since closed a canal after federal officials threatened to withhold millions in drought assistance. What good does millions of dollars do if you don't have the crops that you're trying to grow? We're already having food shortages, but let's just make it worse and here's some money to do I don't know what with. The U.S. Bureau of Reclamation manages the Klamath Project, which includes the Klamath Irrigation District and serves 266 square miles of farmland at the Oregon-California border. A limited allocation of water was allowed for irrigators from Upper Klamath Lake this year because of extreme drought. The Bureau has said the project is now out of water in order to shut down last week, but Irrigation District directors met Monday and authorized the district's manager, Gene Souza, to continue operations, arguing that the U.S. agency had not provided a legal justification. Prompted, that prompted a letter from Alan Heck, acting manager for the Bureau, warning that unless the irrigation district reversed course, it would disqualify all land served by the district from receiving $20 million in emergency drought funding. Such an action would impact the Klamath Irrigation District along with more than half a dozen other irrigation and other districts. The Klamath Irrigation District Board an emergency meeting Tuesday decided to close the canal. Our board's desire is to do what's right for the community. Put us in a really bad spot, Sousa said. There was no good decision. The Capitol Press reported that a spokesperson for the Bureau of Reclamation could not immediately be reached for comment. How convenient. Under the Endangered Species Act, the agency must uphold protections for several species of fish, including shorthorse and Lost River suckerfish in Upper Klamath Lake and coho salmon in the Lower Klamath River. So, fish over humans, fish over crops, fish over the food shortage, and all that, yep. This just sounds just about right for the old left coast, doesn't it? The Federal Bureau initially allocated 15% of full demand for irrigators starting in April. Officials said that if inflows to Upper Klamath Lake exceeded expectations, they would set aside 50% of the additional water rights for irrigators. Klamath Falls area experienced slightly above average precipitation in May and June. As of August 1st, the project's water supply had increased while maintaining a minimum lake elevation for suckers to access critical habitat. However, irrigation districts criticized the Bureau for sending mixed messages about how much water may be available, making it difficult for farmers to plan. 
Brad Kirby, manager of the Tool Lake Irrigation District in Tool Lake, California, said earlier this week that shutting off water now could spell disaster for some farmers and said irrigation districts are scrambling to help save as many crops as possible. He said irrigators are being forced to pump groundwater from the district's wells to keep crops alive through harvest. We're having to rethink our entire system, Kirby said. What idiot comes up with this stuff? Who decides that fish, when, when, with everything going on right now, food shortages and the drought and all this other stuff, people, you know, you're talking about people's livelihoods on top of this, and... But some idiot is deciding that fish are going to be more important than saving these crops when we need these crops more than ever. Well, here's a little emotional story from Oregon as well. The mountain southeast of Eugene, Oregon, called Swastika Mountain, is going to be renamed soon because, you know, it's offensive. So far, two proposals for a new name, Umpqua Mountain and Mount Halo, have been submitted to the Oregon Geographic Names Board. Well, those are both good names, but just so you know, Swastika Mountain is a summit in Lane County, Oregon. It is located within the Umpqua National Forest. The mountain took its name from the extinct town of Swastika, which was reportedly so named because a rancher there branded his cattle with the image of swastikas. Do you know the history of the swastika? Well, thousands of years before the symbol became infamous, when it was associated with Hitler's Nazi flag, the swastika has quite an extensive history. It was one of the most popular Norse symbols, and not just a Germanic symbol. Around 7,000 years ago, the swastika symbol appeared in Neolithic Eurasia as a hooked cross. This early swastika was said to represent the movement of the sun through the sky. The word swastika means good fortune or well-being from the Sanskrit or swastika or swastika. This hooked cross symbol goes back as early as 7,000 years ago and is used to represent the sun's movement through the sky. The moronic people in Germany who followed Hitler didn't adopt that symbol until the 1920s. As with most things these days, people seem to be pretty selective with their history and meanings of things. So as I said, California is passing this, uh, or has passed this ban on the sale of new gas-powered cars by 2035. And now... More than one-third of U.S. states may soon follow California's lead. And I bet you can guess which states those are. New York. Massachusetts. Vermont. Maine. Washington State, as I said. Connecticut. Oregon. New Jersey. Maryland. Delaware. Colorado. Rhode Island. Minnesota, New Mexico, New Mexico by 2026, in fact, Virginia, Nevada, and Pennsylvania. All the regular players in these foolish little ideas. You know, let's, let's switch to something where not 
at all prepared to switch to, and we'll just somehow figure it out. Maybe put the infrastructure in place before you're going to go do this. California is also starting a $20 million plan on covering a couple canals with solar panels, a couple irrigation canals. The total amount will be a one-mile section and a 500-foot section. California has over 4,000 miles of canals. But this would do several things, not only create more electricity, which California desperately needs, but it will also shade the canals and reduce evaporation, loss of water, and keep the canals cooler, lowering the temperature in the water and keeping aquatic weeds down inside the canals as well. Actually, I think this is a great idea, and it should be done on all the canals. I don't know about the price, but California's got to look at all its options, and this definitely cuts down on the amount of land they would have to use to put solar panels up, and instead they could put them on top of all these canals. Actually, a good idea. And lastly, from California, that idiot governor, Gavin Newsom, who's been at odds with Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. On Thursday, Newsom put some cash behind his rhetoric, pledging $100,000 to the campaign of DeSantis's Democratic gubernatorial opponent. The California Democrat urged others to follow his lead and contribute to Representative Charlie Crist, the former Florida governor who is looking to unseat DeSantis. Yeah, good luck with that, buddy. In July, Newsom's re-election campaign ran a 30-second ad on TV stations in Florida, slamming DeSantis and saying, freedom is under attack in your state. Really? I urge all of you living in Florida to join the fight or join us in California where we still believe in freedom. Freedom of speech, freedom to choose, freedom from hate, and freedom to love, Newsom said on the spot. California is one of the most highly restricted, regulated states in the country. So, no, he does not believe in freedom, and your freedom is under attack in California. And why that idiot is spending California taxpaying money to run ads in Florida is beyond me. We've got three idiots running these three West Coast states. listening to the Behind the Line podcast. For more, visit BehindTheLinePodcast.com. You can also find us on NetNewsNetwork.net, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Telegram, Gab, Parler, and Truth Social. Please like, share, and subscribe.